Today's reading is Exodus 17, 1 to 7. It can be found on your screen. This is God's word. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and the water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel and he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Whether we come into this worship time with a house filled with noise and bodies and pent-up energy or the quietness of living alone, whether we come with um, hurts or joys, whether we come with a feeling of being redeemed or a feeling of being sinful, whether we come with questions or a feeling of you've answered them. God, we approach you together, now approaching specifically your word, and we want to hear your voice. We don't want to hear all the shallow and empty words of this world. We want to hear the unchanging and lasting words of grace that come through your scriptures. Give us the faith to hear them, to believe them, to walk in them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I got to say hi to Elijah. Hi, Elijah. Um, in the Nib Namibian desert, there's not very much water. And since water is scarce, life is dangerous. And creatures are desperate. And so some of them have secret su survival plans. There's a wasp that has to find a place that has moisture to lay its eggs. It has to find a place that has enough water for those eggs not to dry out and die. And so it looks for this spider. A spider that hides under the desert sands. And of course, maybe you know where this is going because you've learned a little bit about nature. The, the wasp wants to lay its eggs inside the body, the very moist body of this spider. 
And then the spider, well, it's not so good for the spider, but it's good for the wasp's babies. But the spider has a survival plan of its own up its sleeve. This is called the golden wheel spider for a good reason, because when the spider can no longer get away from the wasp by just running or hiding, it tries to stay up on the top of a dune. And when it gets to this point of desperation, its secret survival plan is to turn into a ball with its legs perfectly tucked in, and it just rolls down the dune fast enough to have the wasp losing interest eventually, and it gets away. The world greets us often like a wilderness, and we get to the point of desperation. It's almost as if God had the idea that 2020 would be a time where he brought his entire world, almost every individual, every group of people, would be brought into a time of wilderness, a time of desperation, a time of, as, you, as we learned last week already with the story about the manna, deserts are times of testing and trial. They're times where we grow. Um, but they bring us to points of desperation, and it sure is nice if you have a secret survival strategy. Many of us are realizing our survival strategies that, that we thought were good. They're, they're not quite cutting it anymore. Maybe it was all about working hard. Well, you're getting drained or uh, exhausted or depressed or anxious or, you know, things just aren't working like they used to work. The Israelites... Um, were brought into this kind of situation. They were brought into the wilderness, a wilderness journey. And it appears that God was their secret survival strategy because well, Moses um, had this staff that God had given him, and all he had to do was one of the first big things that happened for these people in the story of Exodus. Is he touched the Nile River with the staff, and, and it turned this giant body of water. We're talking about water today. The staff touches the water. The water becomes undrinkable for all the Egyptians. Well, then later, there's another body of water, the Red Sea, and, and Moses raising that staff that God gave him, and the water stands up. <laughs> and um, that's not supposed to happen, but that's what happens. It's part of God's secret survival strategy. And then they, they, they go in the desert for a while, and they get to this place where there's this bitter water. There's, there's like a lake, and it's, but the water's no good. And God tells Moses to throw a piece of wood into it, and then it turns sweet, and they can drink the water. And we see this pattern of God being their survival strategy on this journey, even till the, the very last story that we read last week, where God provides bread from heaven and quail from the skies so that these people in the desert have food. So there's, maybe you're, you're seeing this here. I'm trying to lay out the clear evidence that the Israelite people could look at and say, okay, God is with us. God is among us. God helps us. But maybe you resonate with this. In our times of wilderness, desperation, we often can't see the evidence that's laid out. We often don't, we, we just can't, we can't see it. We, we don't see it. We're not drawn to look at the evidence. We're seeing what's right in front of us and the desperation has us saying the same thing. And this is a very important phrase in this passage. The same thing that the Israelites said, and this is what the whole story is about. And we're finally told the last line of it, that essentially this is what it's all about. They were saying, 
Is the Lord among us or not? Maybe you can relate to that in your desperation. Not seeing the evidence that's there, but you see a whole bunch of other stuff that leads you to say, is God even here? Is God even a part of this? And of course, he is in the story. He's in the rock. They just had to look in the right place to see where God was. Do you know that there's this obscure place in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 10 where, um, where we're told that this story is referred to and we're told that Jesus Christ was the rock in this story. In another place, um, Jesus is speaking to a woman um, of a different ethnicity who he's supposed to not talk to and they're supposed to hate each other and he tells her about this living water that if she drinks it she'll never thirst again and then he says I am the living water Jesus um, for those of us who have followed that story not just of the the Israelites but all the way through the Bible to the New Testament when we see Jesus and we see all that that is told to us about Jesus and those who have put our faith in him we're much more inclined to look back at this Exodus chapter 17 story and actually really see Jesus in this story. Let me explain just a little bit more about that, seeing Jesus in this story. Moses comes to God saying, ah, what do I do? They want to throw rocks at me. They're, they're almost at the point of stoning me. They want to throw rocks at me. And it's as if God hears that and says, oh, Okay, so they, uh, they want to solve their thirst with rocks, eh? Yeah, good idea. Moses, go over there and stand by that rock. And then strike that rock. And sure enough, the rock will solve their thirst. Moses is, is a mediator of sorts, right? And um, so you always have these exchanges where Moses is kind of in between God and the people, and yet he's an imperfect mediator. And so rather than have the violence falling on the imperfect mediator, the violence falls somewhere else. God allows the violence not to fall there, but to fall on the rock, and the stick strikes the rock, and then the water flows. When we look at the story this way, we're seeing how Moses foreshadows um, the coming of another mediator, mediator later on. A mediator that wouldn't ask, as Moses asked, a mediator that wouldn't say, God, what do I do? The people want to stone me. But Jesus, who was met often with the desire of people wanting to stone him, he knew what to do. He didn't have to ask. And eventually, as that human violence came on him, the rock, he, he just prayed a simple prayer uh, that included the final words, not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus became the rock once and for all for grumbling, complaining, faithless, sinful people. In the water, the, or in, in the story, the water flows out of the rock. Well, how does that happen with Jesus? Well, Jesus, when the violence, when the violence um, struck him, the water also flowed. 
and it flowed to quench our thirst. It's a water for you and me right now. Jesus said as the violence was crashing upon him, this is, this is how we f- see the water flowing to us through Jesus on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. I'm extremely glad that those words are there coming from Jesus' lips while he's on the cross, because quite frankly, a lot of times we don't know what to do with the idea of Jesus on the cross. We know how to deal with um, uh, Jesus as a teacher, Jesus as someone who maybe upturned social structures and fought for justice and things like this. We want to make Jesus into a lot of things, and he certainly speaks into a lot of things. But as if God knew we would want to make Jesus into all kinds of less important things, these words come out of his lips at that important moment to tell us what this is all about, what he is all about. Forgiveness. Father, forgive them. That's why he's there. That's why he came. And that's what's flowing out of the lips of the rock. Our rock. Forgiveness. We are, if you, if you got to say, who are we in the story? Maybe you already know. If you had to place yourself in the story, what are you? What are you going to pick? What role are you? Well, we're the grumbling people, of course. And we need relief, just like they need relief. We need relief and we need forgiveness, and we have a gracious God who has decided for whatever reason to overlook our short-sightedness, our grumbling, and to bring relief. We come where, you know, this is who we are. We, our actions, as we look at them, we realize we have all kinds of misguided and hurtful actions. Our hearts, they're, they're sinful and broken, and um, they basically just are malfunctioning hearts. And to top it all off, the world around us, as you know, that's what we bring to the table. The world around us is harsh, is a harsh desert that is bringing ungraciousness and unfairness at every turn. We have a rock, and he can be your rock today. Jesus, when he sees our offensive actions and words, what he sees, what he chooses to see, what he never loses sight of, is our thirst underneath them. Maybe you've seen signs that have cropped up lately of your underlying thirst. Legalism and religious duty won't solve it. Follow the rules better. Well, you'll be a good neighbor, but you won't solve the inner thirst. It'll still still rear its ugly head. We need to look to the rock. Only he can satisfy with his relief with his forgiveness. Let's pray. Our heavenly God, would you meet us through the words that have come into our our ears? And would you help the words to sink down? It may take a minute or two, or it may take 
a month or years, but whatever it is, may you may you get your gracious forgiveness, your living water in deeper and deeper so that we can live from it. And that we may be walk, walking around in this world as those whose thirst has been quenched. So we can stop acting out of selfish desperation. And we can bless the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.